Welcome to Becoming Your Greatest Possible Self. I am Chris Burns, America's number one motivational speaker for fiery inspiration and GPS coach for entrepreneurs and high achievers. Each episode, we interview leaders and great role models who make a massive impact in the world to help you master yourself, take courageous action, and make every day your best day ever. We're about to dive into this powerful interview with Abigail, talking about how to live your best life through trauma. No matter what happens, how can you still show up and remember that you are meant for more? We're going to be diving into that in just a second. Before that, I want to say thank you for being here, for choosing to be your greatest possible self, for taking one step at a time. And if you are a woman who's seeking and committed to creating more empowerment, more empowering environment, a sisterhood, growing yourself, and being in the presence of like-minded people who are all out to transform their lives and grow into the greatest possible selves that they can be, definitely get your butt to Meant for More. It's Petia Kolibova's event that's coming up in April, April 24th, 25th, and 26th. It's going to be a blast. Uh, I'd love to see you there. Just go to meantformore.live. You can get access to more info about that and details. It's in Las Vegas. Looking forward to seeing you there. Next up is our iTunes review of the week. This week, it is Jay Inspiration, who says, Greatest possible podcast. Chris is committed to being his best, his guests being their best, and his audience being inspired to take action to transform lives. I love it, Jay Inspiration. Thank you so much for that review. And if you are out there listening, you want a chance to get shouted out on a future 12-hour live stream, go to beergps.com forward slash iTunes or search greatest possible self on the Apple Podcast Store. You can leave us a review, subscribe, keep getting all these amazing updates and interviews like the one we're about to do with Abigail and uh, just keep taking one step at a time into your GPS. I'm gonna introduce Abigail in just a second. Before that, grab a piece of paper, grab a pen, be ready to take notes because one of these ideas could be the thing that really transforms everything for you, that blows it all open in a really, really great way. So definitely stick around all the way through to the end because one idea has the power to change everything for you. Abigail is a mother, wife, brand influencer, and former corporate marketing manager who started a home-based business 23 years ago. She launched a promotional products distributorship that quickly and that grew quickly and grossed $1.2 million in her second year, putting her in the top 5% of her industry. She attributed her success to one simple strategy, ask for a seat at the table. Show up as a problem solver and the business will come. And it did. Seven years ago, she refocused from logoed merchandise uh, back to her marketing roots. Using foundational marketing practices that led to successful launches, rebranding, and market share increases, she started working with coaches and small business owners, helping them create branding that is authentic and compelling, marketing that builds trust with their ideal clients, and establish sales conversations that bring in more customers and makes the business more money. There's so much more beyond that, but we are just going to dive right into this epic interview. Abigail, are you ready to rock the house? I hope so. I've been having internet issues, so I'm hoping everything is okay. I'm into a bedroom where the modem is, so yeah. as as I can. <laughs> yep, it's it's looking like it's still cutting out a little bit. Um, I'm wondering if there's anything that we could do to to strengthen the connection, or maybe if, if you hop out of the Zoom and then hop back in, that, that might make a difference. No, it's not going to help. Okay, cool. Yeah, uh, I, I know I know what'll work and what won't, and that's not, it's, 
for some reason. We've had terrible storms here all day. I live oh, in South Carolina. Yeah. So that it's, um, it could just be internet is impacted because of the weather. Sure, sure. Well, it looks like it's it's working now, so I'm sure everything will work out all all working perfectly. So, Abigail, we'll just dive right in. The theme today is you are meant for more. What does that mean for you, Abigail? What does that mean for me? Um, I I think that you know it's it's about we're we're always meant to evolve every day to be the next level better than the next day happier and the um, I, I I think we're here to to take as much as we can and give as much as we can back. So always always wanting more or better or and I don't even meet that from a greedy perspective, but just in terms of our own awareness. Yeah, yeah, I, I like it. I like it. Um, just expand the capacity. What what is our potential? What what is our abilities? And how can we stretch those? How can we really discover what are our limits if there are any right. limits? Right? Like how can we how can we really find out what we're made of? So I love it, Abigail. I mentioned a little bit about you in your intro, but just in your own words, why don't you share a little bit more about what you're doing with Launches Made Simple and your marketing, um, your marketing consulting work that you do today. Yeah, we um, we work with small business traditionally business consultants, and our goal is to provide an end end marketing agent environment. It's the environment swap in all of those things that McDonald's would have available to them, or NT would have available. To them. They go into it see they have a challenge. They've got a product they launch. They need market share growth. They need something specific. And a great team comes together and helps them make that happen. Mm. And so many agents, so many small business owners don't think that that's for them because it's too expensive. And so what this is, is an opportunity to really get the best and the brightest working on your behalf, working so that you can work on your client's behalf. Yeah. Yeah, it's like staying in that zone of genius is so, so important. So I love it. I think that's especially having the team there to take everything to the next level and also just crushing that limiting belief that, well, I'm not ready to bring on a team or I'm not at the point right now where I don't know how to do it or do I really need a team or whatever, whatever might come up. Uh, I know we'll be diving into like just that's total BS because I think there's always a time and a place to say, how can I work on the business and zoom out rather than just being a slave to the technical work of the the job? And like, even though I'm, I'm, I might love it, how do I stay in that genius zone and do what I love more and and build something that that really impacts and serves people exactly. and gives us freedom too? Exactly. I think too many business owners that they have to have grit the business mm. that requires them pain and all of these things that how to do and it's not winning it's not a it's not a winning formula right right i love it so let's go back into your journey you had you had some big big success in direct sales um early on tell us a little bit more about your journey into it. how did you get started in marketing why why is business um one of your passions and why do you love doing it yeah. Um, so the success wasn't in direct sales. It was in, as a promotional products distributor, Got it. which is very different. So yeah. that's B2B marketing, selling shirts and hats and pens. Um, and it's selling a lot of them. I did 1.2 million my second year and almost yeah. 2 million my fourth year. Um, but how did I get into this? I grew up in it. 
I am, I am literally the daughter of a madman. My dad was a Madison Avenue BBDO guy. Um, my mother ran a home-based business owner in 1966. She started a home-based business. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the business that they did was because they had joint clients. Mm-hmm. So our dinner conversation revolved around, you know, what was going on with the sales sheets and if all the literature shown up and where they get to start the fulfillment job. Um, I, with making it in my house, I grew up part-time for my dad. Um, I, I had a guidance asked me when I was, thinking, you know, what was I going to, was I going to college number one? And, uh, what was I do? And I looked at him like he had six and I said, um, marketing, like, is there anything else? You know, somebody who's raised everybody is a doctor in their family and, you know, they just want to be a songwriter. Right. <laughs> I just wanted to follow in the path of my parents. That's what I did. Wow. Wow. Beautiful. And then like, just what what was it like in the beginning? What were what were some of the challenges that you faced wanting to be um, a, a powerful business woman that like or you know you saw your parents being these powerful business people producing results? Um, what what challenges did you brush up against in the beginning as you learned the ropes? I I think one of the reasons why I'm so hot and heavy about asking for a seat at the table uh, is because you know in the beginning when you're a lowly little assistant account executive and, you know, Citibank comes in and they're bringing the president of the company and the new product they're about to launch. And you're sitting like in a corner, you know, you're not anywhere near the table, right. You're like in a corner and you're allowed to be seen and not heard. All of those um, things that I was raised around, like, mm. you know, good girls are seen and not heard and they're, um, you know, they, they kind of take copious notes and they're there to serve and, and all of that. And so I remember the president asking a question and I answered it. <laughs> I thought I got the stink eye from my boss and he looked at me and he didn't say anything. Thank goodness he didn't try to, you know, walk it back. Right. But, um, John, the, the guy that I had answered to, he, he was like, that's that, that's what I want to hear, mm-hmm. you know, and it, and it validated the fact that there's a time and a place. I yeah. mean, I certainly needed to earn that seat at the table, sure. but it was really important to have that seat at the table mm-hmm. because that means, you know, we're all, we're all just trying to get the same problem solved, right? you know, as opposed to like having all the magic happen, you know, once, once the client leaves the room. <laughs> so, I mean, and, and, you know, I'm 60. I just turned 60 a couple of weeks ago. Oh. And I did grow up in, in a, you know, a very interesting time for women because some of us really had to take the bull by the horns mm-hmm. and pave the way for a lot of the women who are now showing up, you know, just feeling like they've got a seat at the table already. I mean, we, we earned that seat at the table for this next generation, mm-hmm. just like our mothers earned their seat in the room, yep. you know, not at the table. Right. So yeah, just, just to be, to be, have existence validated. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. And we're lucky because yeah. the advertising world has always been female friendly, mm. you know, mm. unlike, you know, we make good researchers, we are task oriented, wow. we are problem solvers and consensus builders as, as, as a, as a sex, you know, as, as a, as a gender. Yep. And so 
the advertising world wasn't really a place where somebody said, oh, that idea came from a woman that doesn't, you know, and, and it would be not validated. Right. Um, but we just had to, we just had to work hard. I mean, it's like, you know, what does Ginger Rogers say? We did, I did everything Fred Astaire did in heels and, and dancing backwards. You know, I mean, we really did have to show up a hundred percent every single day. Yeah. Man, it's beautiful. So I want to talk about in these last like decade or so really evolving your business model because we heard about those early years. What what caused these these changes and pivots for you and how did you navigate those? I, I think I struggled just like everyone else um, going from having a successful offline business to creating a successful online business. I still get the majority of my business through offline channels. Yep. I do a lot of speaking. I um, uh, network a lot. Um, I will reach out and actually cold call, you know, chamber contacts and things like that. It's awesome. But what I've used social media for is, damn it, I'm going to make it a platform for good if it kills me. That's right. You know, I, I, I avoid the religious, political, snarky, like, let's just be catty posts. Um, I spend a lot of time in groups and I answer questions I can answer with the same practical approach I bring to working with my clients. And I get a lot of people who reach out to me privately and go, I love the way you responded to XYZ's post. Do you believe what you said? Or could we get on a phone call and chat or, um, you know, and I, I, I think there's just, there's, there's so much glitz and glitter around, you know, Facebook being the be all end all that it, it, it's important to have people there that really are just trying to provide basic business principles, mm. you know, and in a, in a, like there is no four hour work week as far as I'm concerned. Right. You don't work when you want to work. If you're building a business, you work when there's business. That's mm. how I built a million dollar business. You you have to put in place structural things. You can transactionally get business, but to create a sustainable business, you have to put in place processes. Yep. Marketing, you have to understand marketing is not about creating a sphere for you to go into the water and fish, right? Or into the jungle and hunt. Marketing is about being there so that when people are going through a decision-making process, trying to solve the problem you can solve for them, that you show up in trust and integrity and you have the ability then to create that one-on-one relationship so they come looking for more. Most business owners don't really understand the difference between marketing and selling. Mm. So if I can be that voice of reason, Wonderful. That's that's my give back and my gift to um, the social media world. Yeah, I, I would love to get clarity on the difference between marketing and selling. For for me, what I understand it as is marketing is making someone aware that you're there to help them solve their pain or their problem, and giving them you know solutions or helpful advice that moves them towards that solution. And then is what's the difference between that and selling? So by the time somebody shows up at a sales conversation, they should be really interested in knowing more about you and your products. Are you a good fit? So it's qualifying, converting, and closing. It's really what it's about. And we forget often because we're so 
desperate for business, we forget that the qualification process is a two-way street. Mm. So yes, you're right. Marketing is about showing up in integrity, authentically, consistently. It's about being having everything that you're doing aligned. So if you show up offline one way at a networking event, and then you go on your website and you look like something completely different, mm. wherever you can create confusion, you're going to turn somebody off. The other thing that people don't understand about most products is that the majority of buyers are not actively looking for that specific solution at that moment. So the reason why the consistency is so important is that you have to be able to show up during that person's decision-making process. That person's decision-making process could be one day or three years. Sure. Wow. You know, so that's that's kind of the difference between the two. But if you're in a sales conversation, if you don't want to feel salesy, then you need to make sure the right person is showing up at your table. Mm. I love it. I love it, Abigail. I want to transition into this conversation today about like being able to get through trauma when life life hands hands us trauma and difficult times. How do we show up? How do we um you know, like handle that. And I know yes, 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 you've yes, had some, yes, yes. some pretty big difficulties in the last year or so. Can you tell us a little bit more about this, this perspective? <laughs> yeah, I actually, I had some huge trauma going on around 2008, nine and 10. Mm-hmm. Um, when my mother fell and broke her hip and she was my bookkeeper. What I didn't know at the time was that she wasn't paying our suppliers. So mm-hmm. I found I was a hundred thousand dollars in debt. That wasn't traumatic at the beginning. Although when I look back on it, it certainly was a source of trauma in terms of getting our business back to black. Mm-hmm. And then 14 and 14 came, came around and life was good. 13, 14, things started to turn around. 15, my husband and I relocated from Florida to South Carolina, mm-hmm. bought a house in 16, had my gallbladder out, no big deal. Renovated a house in 16, 17, and 18 started enjoying life. My business, my consulting business was picking back up, just having that great mm-hmm. kind of distance between Florida and South Carolina. End of December, I am, I, I'd returned from Croatia in October and was exhausted. Just could not tell you. I thought I was anemic. I've been anemic in my life and thought I was anemic. I went to the doctor. She said, let's do some extra tests. And it turned out that all three of my blood markers, um, my white blood, my red blood, and my my platelets were super low. Mm. And so I had a bone marrow biopsy and they diagnosed leukemia. Mm. Originally, they diagnosed AML leukemia, which was a pretty aggressive form. And I was, you know, I didn't get the phone call until the Saturday after Christmas. My my family had visit, had had been there for the holidays. They had left. I was sleeping because he's a nurse, so he sleeps during the day. I was watching Hallmark. It was like everything was, you know, just let me just reach. And the doctor calls me up and she said, you know, he said, you have leukemia. And I said, okay, thank you. And I hung up the phone and I put Hallmark back on because I didn't know what else to do. Mm. And when my husband woke up, um, I said, by the way, I heard from Dr. Wells and um, it's leukemia. And he was like, holy, you know. And it, it so 2019, I will tell you, the first couple of months, I, well, I was I, I ended up going into the hospital right away mm-hmm. because AML isn't something you want to play with. 
they did another bone marrow biopsy. They re-diagnosed me with a um, less aggressive form of leukemia. Mm-hmm. And the protocols changed. They released me from the hospital. I went through a couple of rounds of what are called like maintenance doses to get my numbers back up sure. while they were looking for a donor. And I had to find a new hospital. And um, I chose the Mayo Clinic in Jacksonville. And then I ended up having a stem cell transplant back in April. Mm-hmm. So in April of this year, April 25th, it'll be a year. Yeah. And, um, the stem cell transplant is really quite uneventful, unlike, you know, a liver transplant or a lung transplant where you have this scar and this recovery, there's nothing that's naked to the eye that you see. I mean, you have port put in and pick lines and, you know, those kind of things, but there's no scarring that actually happens. Um, and the, the process, I got very lucky. My brother was my donor. Um, I'm 12 years younger than the average person who contracts MDS. It was a primary form of cancer versus a secondary form of cancer. I mean, to me, it was really, really important to latch on to whatever the good things were about what I was going through. Yeah. And I said a couple of things to different people, but to my doctors, I said, I am not here to be treated. I am here to be cured. Yes. So whatever has to happen to get me cured is the path that I'm willing to take. Mm. And I said to my husband, I am not going to be here for you. You're going to have to find a support group that'll be here for you. And I basically said the same thing to my daughters. They'll be 25 and 28 this year. Mm. And they're remarkable young women. They both are fully independent and live in Florida. But to me, it was really important that we had these conversations up front so that the... I wasn't going to feel the additional guilt of not being able to support their grief. Wow. And then the, and then the thing that was kind of the game changer. And I went through this when I went through some financial issues in 2008, it was the same, it was the same concept. Like I remember looking at my husband cause we were talking about short selling the house and it, at that time frame, and, and he was so devastated because he had renovated this house and, I said to him, I said, I don't care if I live in a car with you. I don't care if we live in some shack on a beach. I said, all I want at the end of this is a, is a marriage. Mm-hmm. So to, you know, to, to really understand what that end goal was is super, super important. Yeah. And, you know, somebody who's going through trauma, they're going to say, well, my goal is to get healthy. And you know what? That's not the goal. My goal was to be cured. My goal was to have a marriage at the end. My, my goal was for my children and my, my husband to be safe within communities that were going to help them process so that I could process. Yeah. And if it's selfish, I apologize. But I can't, I can't give back and be whole to somebody else if I couldn't focus on being whole to myself. Nope. No, nope. and I, I think it's it's important to be selfish. It's important to be enlightened in our self-interest and take care of ourselves first. And I love that you know you really took the bull by the horns and said, "Hey, here's what I need in our relationship. Here's what I will be able to provide. Here's what I will not be able to provide that I may have been able to provide just a couple of days or a couple of weeks or a couple of months ago." things are different now. So like, right. let's move forward on the same page because I, I love you. I want you to be happy. I want you to know that I'm here for you as much as I can be. 
and there's a lot of stuff that I'm dealing with. So I appreciate your support as we go through this. And, and I was very emphatic about not really caring if my husband was at my beck and call and at my bedside all two weeks, three, I was in the hospital almost a month. Um, I was more worried about the first two weeks that I was released because I was released to a care house. Mm. So I ultimately spent April, May, June, July, and the beginning of August down in Florida mm. was there full time, never left, never saw my kitties, never, you know, like my husband would bring my mail. He would bring clothes when I needed this and, and that. And I thought <laughs> this is the, this is where your friends come in, right? This is where you really have to have friends. I thought I was fun really well. I mean, everybody knew I had I could barely get out of bed. I was at the clinic four times. I was realized once for dehydration, um, having a hysterectomy while I was there because they found cancer in the uterus. But I, I would say to my friends, like, I'm ready to work. You know, like, like let's, let's schedule a call. And they, they'd schedule the call and in chemo brain is real. In the middle of the conversation, I'm zoning out over peanut butter or something. Um, I struggled a lot with eating and I struggled a lot with nausea. So that was a little bit of a setback. I get home at the beginning of August and I spent the month on the sofa. September, I don't know what happened. I don't know if it was a change of the wind as we were entering fall. I could not tell you, but I felt like I went to bed one night and woke up with a platform upgrade. Wow. Like all of a sudden, my head had gone to a 2.0 and I was like, things were coming into my head faster than I could process them. I would go to bed at night and I'd spend an hour going through things and I'd wake up in the morning and I was jumping out of bed. and. I mean, I've always been confident. I've always been happy. I've always been a go-getter. Let's go find a way. That's my motto. But I was talking to my partner, my Launches Made Simple partner, and she kept on saying, you know, you're not ready. You're not ready. And I'd be like, yes, I am. I'm ready. I, I, can, I can do this. And she said, no, you're not. And so one day I was chatting with her and I said, I feel like I had this system upgrade. And she goes, you're an entirely different. You don't even know how different you are. Wow. She said, yeah, we used to just like kind of let it go, whatever it was you were saying. And I was like, God, I love these women. You know, I love these people who have waited for me and rooted me on and didn't make me feel less than while I was going through the process. Yeah. But I couldn't tell you now my May, my June or my July. Mm. I mean, it's I, I, I mean, obviously, I remember certain parts right. of it, but it it's a blur and you know the the journey has been so remarkable in terms of really focusing on me being able to release on me being focused on a goal on tightening the relationships with my friends and family developing a community through camp good blood i i um not that i wish leukemia on anybody but i uh but it's a remarkable journey if you understand that the journey really has, like it has everything to do with your blood because without your blood, you're dead. But it, it, what it really did to your heart and soul and, mm. and head and, and wow. you know, just like commitment to life. Yeah. Clarity on what's really important, your values. Like I, I really love how you said afterwards, you're like an upgraded version of yourself, you know, and it's, 
I think that's what happens in a lot of these traumas and rock bottom moments. It's like, man, we were just, we were kind of going at a certain pace and some people might be going up. Some people might be going down, like whatever the case might be. But like when you hit that, that point or really have to dig deep into your soul, into your being, into who you are and say, like, I'm no longer going to tolerate whatever was going on. I'm no longer right. going to tolerate stress or, um, you know, people who are, who are like taking my energy, toxic people, toxic environments, things like that, because life is too short. Like, I know that that will lead to that downward spiral or that rock bottom. So no more. And then you're like totally committed to this new way of being and, and like the love that you're Wait. experiencing. The interesting thing is, is that, you know, again, unlike a lot of other cancers, where they're really focused on getting you healthy mm. so that you can withstand the trauma of, you know, the physical cutting and the, the transplant. One of the things they have to do for a stem cell transplant is get you to zero. So they literally are bombing, excuse me, bombing you with cancer. Wow. Five days before you go through the transplant so that your numbers go down to zero because what they want the new plasma and the new blood bone marrow to do is cleave to your bones, to have nothing there that it's dying to cleave to something that's going to give it life. Wow. So you, I mean, it talk about getting knocked down and, and you don't even think about it at the moment because it's just a part of the process. Yeah. But in looking back, it's really such an interesting state to be in because mm. you literally have, I mean, I'm going through my re-immunizations. I had five shots today. Wow. My arms are killing me. Yeah. You know, I have to, I, I still get nauseous. I still don't have a, you know, like there are days I just eat potato chips because that's all that seems to, you know, keep my stomach going. Yeah. Um, your throat gets dry. You're, you know, I lost my fingernails and had them grow back and, wow obviously my hair. And so there's those outward symbols, but the, the funner stuff that's happening is really kind of happening beneath the skin. Wow. Yeah. You know, so. I'm, I'm curious for someone who is either going through trauma right now, or um, even to prepare our audience who isn't necessarily going through something super difficult right now, but at some point in the future, we'll have some kind of hardship or, or difficulty. Like you mentioned about having a goal at the end, like really being focused on that. Is there anything else you'd recommend about being able to handle trauma or difficult situations powerfully? Get to acceptance as quickly as you can. Mm. Because you have to go through the grieving process. You have to go through denial and bartering and, you know, all of those <coughs> various stages of grief. But acceptance is really the only place where you get into possibilities. Mm. And possibilities is the only place where you get into fixing it, moving forward, feeling that my actions are a choice. Mm. You know, there's no plan B. You have to get to that place. Mm. So. I think where a lot of people struggle, and you don't have to have trauma to the extent that I've had trauma. One of the things I've been very vocal about is, is your trauma is no different than my trauma because it's affecting your body the same way, hmm. is to get to that place where you can find something good. You know, if you look at it like strings that are popping out of the universe for you to hold on to, someday there's one and someday there's a hundred. Yeah. And you got to find a string every single day because it can get lonely. It can get dark. It can get fearful. It can get, and I, again, I don't care if it's medical or 
emotional or family related, you know, because trauma all affects us in such a way where it blurs our vision. So get to acceptance. That's the other thing. Yeah. I love what you said there about choosing it too, right? Because if we're able to choose the good and the bad, right? Like the gifts and the darkness and the the crap that we have to, to deal with. It's like, all right. And I'm uh, at some level, I'm responsible for this uh, at some level. Like I am a hundred percent in control of what do I do from here and how do I respond Correct. to the circumstances that I've been dealt? Like I may not have wanted them and I might be pissed and angry that I, that I got them. But now that they're here, like, am I willing to say, okay, this is what is so. This is the reality that I'm in. This is what I'm dealing with. How do I best move forward? Where do I want to go from here? What what right. can I do to move through this? And, and I subscribe a little bit to the belief that, you know, we continue to come back in different generations of ourselves and yeah. that we do have a little bit of say over what type of life we want to live. Yeah. And I always want to live a life of possibilities. Mm. I always want to live a life of knowing that whatever it is that I'm going through, there's a, there's a way through it and there's a way over it and there's a way around it. And it's, I I don't, I don't feel punished. I don't, you know, I, I don't subscribe to to that belief because I feel like we can learn something from everything. I mean, even the negotiating that I had to do back in 2008, and I used to say, if I hadn't, you know, if my mother hadn't been sick, I would have killed her. I was so angry at her. It wasn't her fault. It was my fault. I was the president of the company. I had to put my big girl panties on. I had to go and I had to make hard calls and have hard conversations and make hard decisions. Mm. And, you know, ultimately it was empowering. Mm. Now, this kind of happened to me. I, I, I did nothing to create it. You know, I didn't take my eye off my health ball. I was working out. I eat healthy and organic and and all of that. But just because it happens, there has to be a gift in there somewhere. Yeah. Yeah, And I I also feel like based on who you're being today, like I think now you could say, I know why it happened. So I could get to this whole new Abigail that wasn't there before, or it was 2.0. there. She was, she was there 2.0 that she was there, but maybe you just weren't connected with that power, with that sense of self, with that, you know, boldness and living life. So, so much more fully. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, let's face it. I mean, you're a child of the sixties and seventies and we do bring a lot of beliefs with us. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, I hope my daughters in their twenties being children of the, you know, nineties and thousands or thousands that they come with a little more self, you know, sense of self and, and what works and what doesn't. And we, I sacrificed a lot. I gained a ton of weight. I mean, I've lost a ton of weight. It's, it's, um, you know, just a matter of just being aware and that awareness. I love the fact the younger generations come with it. Some of them come with a little too much, <laughs> you know, and they'll, they'll figure it out over time because there, there's something to be said about, there's something to be said about feeling like you've earned it mm. or you've created that space yeah. as opposed to you just have a right to walk into it. Wow. So for the millennials who are listening, how can, 
how can, for me, I'm a millennial, how can I and people who are watching, how can we like really be more open to earning our, our dues, like paying our dues, earning our way, asking for the seat at the table? Like, what does it take to earn that? <coughs> um, I think it starts with really kind of looking around and saying, what else can I do? Mm. You know, like if, if the decision makers are still the, um, my generation, what am I, um, what's my generation? Um, is it Y, X? No, no I'm a, I'm a, um, baby boomer. Yeah. I'm at the end of the baby boom. So it, you know, what do I need to be able to not feel like I'm constantly butting heads with this other generation? How, how mm. do I find a way to show up in my best self and be able to give? I mean, one of the beautiful things about millennials is how loyal they are mm. to their friends and, and to their communities and how they really do want to make a difference. And part of it is, you know, making a difference in the right way, mm. right? And part of it is really showing up, not just getting so overzealous about a particular topic, but realizing how does that impact other things mm. in the process? So, I mean, I have two very hardworking millennials, so I can't, everything I hear about millennials, I usually disagree with because my daughters work their tuchies off. <laughs> I you love know. it. I love it. So I think it's, what I'm hearing is keep the good things that are working, like the the um, standing for a cause, like really knowing and having this intuition of what we believe in and like what's important to us. And then also like the bigger picture, how can we do more? How can we serve um, at a bigger level? And instead of maybe just probably, I think your, your kids work their butts off, but I think a lot of millennials more so are waiting for things to come to them, waiting for um, oh, yeah. opportunities versus going out and asking for that seat at the table. Yeah. And, and, and I, it's interesting. I have one of each, you know, one who really does work her heart out, but she does kind of wait to see how the wind blows before yeah. where my other one's like, I'm bored. Send me more work. <laughs> You know, if people want to ask, if people want to know the pulse of something, they'll go to Emma Yeah. and they'll say, so what's going on on the floor? Mm. You know, and she's kind of like that Jack Nicholson, you can't handle the truth, <laughs> you know, but she's more than happy to tell you. And as a result, they really respect who she is yeah. because she's looking at the bigger picture of the business, yeah. you know, and she works for a big corporation and, and she's gotten very lucky that they've entrusted her with her and given her that space to be who she is naturally, mm -hmm. but also learn to kind of mold herself within areas where she needs to self-correct. Yeah, because it's it's such a dance, right? To, as a as a passionate, uh, opinionated <laughs> person, it's like this is how it's supposed to be. And then there's also like deferring, uh, you know, authority saying, okay, okay, like you you know better. I will trust you. I will allow myself to be led by you because you've been doing this for two decades and you, you know what you're talking about, you know? Right. <laughs> right. I mean, we, we were taught to play a dance. Yeah. You know, we were taught to dance. We were taught to go sweep floors, do whatever you have to, to prove your worth. And, yep. and I don't know that that was the right way to be as well because it, it um, limited us, especially as, as women. And, you know, there, there, we were making a lot less than our male counterparts doing a lot more work. Right. And so, so it, what's nice about it is that you don't feel that necessarily with 
the younger generation, but I want the younger generation. If I was, you know, going to be mama Abigail and, and take all of the millennials who really, you know, want to show up and be who the the best they are and give them a hug, you know, I would say, just keep trying, just feel good about who you are because Mm. you've got so many things right that we just missed in our generation. Mm. And, you know, there's always that fine line, that little bit of water that has to find its own level. Mm. That's powerful, Abigail. I want to wrap up with just any final words on um, getting our message out into the world, the marketing aspect and launching. I know there's so much that we could dive into around that, but just in terms of today, what you're you're seeing on social media and to, to launch a product or service or offer out into the world, what do you think are some key things that our audience should know? Consistency is absolutely important. You have got to show up consistently. Um, <clears throat> you really have to know who you are and what you do and why you do it. And that's struggle. The generations struggle with that. I mean, so it's the age old problems are still the age old problems. Um, you have to understand what the problem that you're truly solving. In the old days where you would meet somebody at a networking event or maybe a trade show or something, they had a chance to get to know you. Then maybe they ran into you in the grocery store. Maybe their your children played soccer together. You don't have those various touch points mm. where people can show up a certain way and you know kind of reinforce that image, or you can meet other people who you, you know in common. When you're a stranger on the internet, you're a stranger on the internet. Yep. So it's really, really important to get those foundational elements. Um, worked on strategy a little bit of strategy goes a long way yeah and i hear just when you do the foundational work when you know who you are then you're not guessing at what is going to work in my marketing or my approach i mean there's always an element of experimentation but you're like because i am this person and because this is the way we do things at our company then of course this marketing effort or initiative or you know strategy is in alignment with that so like let's right. let's give it a let's give it a shot <laughs> Right. And I mean, and the biggest thing I say it to, to anyone is we all have versions of ourselves. Mm. We have lousy versions of ourselves, sure. the person that gets out of bed and starts stepping on the cat and go, leave me alone. And we've got amazingly <laughs> super versions of ourselves. Yeah. And we get to choose how we show up every single day. So mm. try to focus on showing up as a better version of yourself than a, a worse version of yourself. Yeah. You know, like that that's a conscious decision. You don't have to do a Facebook live in the middle of a dirty bed. <laughs> you know, and I, it 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 matters to people. Mm. And they might say, well, it doesn't matter to the people who I'm authentically being authentic with, but you know what it kind of does because if you're not being around authentic people you want to be around, mm. maybe those people were turned off by the fact that you think you can do a video in an unmade bed no plus it's like what do i want to role model for people do i want to role model messiness is that what i want to spread and and produce it's like it's more of the why behind it what why am i going to do it in a made bed it's not to it's not to prove to people that i'm nice and clean it's like no it's because that's who i am and that's the type of environment in a world that i want to live in i want people to make their beds it's a good habit (laughs) right exactly exactly yeah Yeah, you're right on so I, love I agree. It.
I love it, Abigail. So let's wrap up. Um, if there's any final takeaways, you can share that. Just drive home the point of um, how to show up in, in spite of traumas or marketing, whatever you want to touch on. And then we can tell them how they can stay connected with you so our audience can continue their journey with you. Yeah. So in terms of showing up, I mean, again, be your best person. That's what I would say. I, I would say be consistent. Really understand the problem you solve and why you solve it. In terms of reaching me, I'm easy. Launches made simple. Um, Abigail Tiefenthaler, I'm on Facebook and LinkedIn and Instagram. And my phone number and my email are actually on my websites and wow. on my social media pages. Like, if you need me, there is no excuse for you not to find me. Wow. Wow. I love it. And, and I love what you said earlier about... Um, you you work when the business like wants you when it comes to you like that's that's when you're available. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I talk to a lot of business owners. Well, I really only want to work from ten to twelve on Mondays and Thursdays. I'm like, well, good luck with that. Because <laughs> I took phone calls on Tuesdays at eight o'clock at night, and Sundays I took a call at two o'clock in the morning. You know, because that's when clients needed me. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so. I just, I love it because you have the, the track record. You're serving so many people, Abigail. So again, our audience, you can go to launchesmadesimple.com and Abigail Tiefenthaler, and that's A-B-I-G-A-A-I-L. And then last name is T-I-E-F-E-N-T-H-A-L-E-R. And of course, you can find that you on the show it. notes. Abigail, thank you so much for being here and just so, so grateful for you being a great mom, for you serving your clients so powerfully and sharing about this, uh, this Abigail 2.0 upgraded version version and um, I'm excited to see what keeps flowing through you in this new level of awareness and commitment to impacting people's lives. Thank you, Chris. Thank you. From the bottom of my heart, thank you for tuning in. Right now, we've reached the end of this episode, but this is the start of a whole new beginning. Each and every moment, you have an opportunity to rewrite your story right here, right now. Decide and commit who you are going to be. Think about how you will use these ideas, wisdom, and inspiration to make the difference in your life. What actions will you take today and every day to step into your greatest possible self? Again, a big shout out to our sponsor, EmployeeEscapePlan.com. If you're committed to learning how to truly harness your abilities and passions to serve the people who are hungry and desperate for what you have to offer, make a great income off of your genius, or if you're ready to get more clients to pay you more money, head over to www.employeeescapeplan.com and let Joe know you were sent by Chris. Did you enjoy this episode? Let your friends know about it. Share the website, beyourgps.com, and send me some love on social media. If you want to clarify your vision, uncover blind spots, get more energy, tap into your flow, and take massive action, head over to beyourgps.com forward slash coaching to schedule some time into my calendar. Now, master yourself, create your reality, and make every day your best day ever.